0: Well, thanks to the smartphone, online dating is now the most common way that couples meet, not through friends, not at school, not in church. The vast majority of couples now meet online through apps. Finding a new date has never been easier. Just swipe to the right, and that ease is posing a new problem for serial daters like the young woman who writes in today. Pastor John, hello. I struggle with an issue and I have for a while. I call it an addiction. I am. A serial dater. I get high on the chemicals in my brain from dating new men. Often it seems like I cannot help but flirt. I know the Bible disapproves of and even condemns this vain behavior. I desperately want to direct my attention to Jesus and find a comparable kind of joy or high in him. I've been reading the Bible and praying faithfully, but I can't get the same feelings. How does Christian hedonism offer guidance on such a situation as mine? How can I gain victory over the sinful euphoria?
1: Serial dating
0: like this, if it's not
1: conquered, is probably a prelude to serial marriage. Hmm. It's plain that this young woman is conflicted about this behavior and is not finding this sinful euphoria as she calls it to be lastingly satisfying. She's not. This prelude to serial marriage with all of its temporary euphoria is setting off merciful alarm bells for her and she's hearing them. And the message is This is not satisfying, not even in the short run. And this is leading to nowhere good. She senses that and feels trapped. And I certainly am glad she feels that Mm -hmm. right now before it's too late. The Bible doesn't speak directly to the issue of serial dating or any dating for that matter, because in the first century, (laughs) that's not the way marriages happen. Um, But interestingly, the Bible does address the issue of serial marriage. In the fourth chapter of John's gospel, Jesus goes out of his way to have a crucial encounter with a woman who desperately needs what he has. So he offers her what he has at the well. But she has absolutely no categories in her mind or her heart That can make any sense of what he's saying. He says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. You would have never thirsted again. Now, she knows what ordinary H2O is and what it feels like, what it tastes like. She knows that. She knows the pleasure of water when she's physically thirsty. In fact, it would be fair to say, I think, that if she had gone without physical water for two or three days, she would have given anything for the physical feel of a cup of water on her tongue. The pleasure of slaking our thirst is a God-given Impulse of pleasure to keep us alive. A physical pleasure that serves life, just like sexual pleasure serves procreation of life. God is very generous with his pleasures. But such natural appetites and pleasures also create a problem for sinful people like us. They tend to be so powerful in the absence of other kinds of pleasures that they make us feel I don't think there is any other kind of pleasure. They make it impossible for us, except that God steps in with a miracle, which is what we're praying toward. They make it impossible for us to taste any other kind of pleasure than physical pleasure, than natural pleasure. They make it impossible for us sometimes to even believe that there is another kind of pleasure besides the one we're getting that she calls a sinful euphoria. Well, that was certainly the case with this woman at the well. Her response to Jesus when he offered her another kind, living water, so that she'd never thirst again, she said, but you don't have a bucket. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, <laughs> just like Nicodemus when, when Jesus said, you need to be born again. And he said, what? Enter into my mother's womb? So Nicodemus had no category for the reality of the new birth. And this woman has no experiential head or heart category for living water that could come from Jesus in a relationship that would be deeper and better and, and longer in, in its pleasure than the physical water could ever give. She doesn't know what he's talking about. She can't taste it. So what will Jesus do to help her? Well, out of the blue, he introduces serial marriage. He says, go get your husband and come here. I can, you know, the look on her face like, well, I thought we were talking about living water. Water that you, you drink and it will satisfy you forever. Whoever drinks of this water will never be thirsty again. She doesn't have a clue where Jesus is about to go. She says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, "Right, and then he drops this bomb and and mercifully designed as a bomb to blow up the limits of this woman's capacities for pleasure. That's what the bomb is designed for to blow out the walls of her limited pleasure and i'm I'm praying for that bomb to drop in this a p j hmm. He says, That's right, you don't have a husband, you've had five, and now you're living with the sixth. And he's not even your husband. Now, number six is the tip-off here. The tip-off of the problem. She hasn't been widowed five times. There's always been a need for number two, then number three, then number four, then number five. Now number six and marriage be damned, who needs it? What I need is a man. What I thirst for is number six and then maybe number seven and eight. Jesus hasn't changed the subject. The issue is still the same. She has cravings that are, that are destroying her life with serial marriages, and she has no capacities, as far as she can see, to get this kind of satisfaction anywhere else. And there's the problem. What Jesus offers her in a relationship with himself is deeper and better and longer. It's not the same kind of pleasure. And Jesus touches the brokenness of her life with a view to awakening her capacity to taste a deeper, better, longer kind of satisfaction. And this woman who wrote to us says that uh, this sinful euphoria keeps her flirting with man number one, man number two, man number three, man number four, man number five, man number six. And then she says, I desperately want to direct my attention to Jesus and find a comparable kind of joy or a high in Jesus. I've been reading the Bible and praying faithfully for that, but can't get the same feelings. Neither Christian hedonism nor the Bible ever promised anybody in sin the same feelings. They didn't promise the euphoria that we get from sinful behaviors. What the Bible and what Christian hedonism offers is deeper, better, longer pleasures than the fleeting euphoria of sin. In Hebrews 11, Moses turns away from the fleeting pleasures of sin in Egypt in favor of a difficult life because, it says, he was looking to the reward. The Christians in chapter 10 of Hebrews joyfully, joyfully accepted the plundering of their property because they knew they had a better possession and a lasting one. Better, deeper, lasting. This is why faith is so important. Hebrews 11 says faith is the substance of things hoped for, namely the reward Moses was looking to and the better, lasting possession that the Christians were looking for. They believed, they believed, they had faith in Christ. They embraced him as their greatest treasure. And in that faith, they tasted the substance, the deeper, better, lasting pleasure that Christ offers, that Christ is. And sustained by that taste, they waited for the full reward. So my plea to this young woman is, turn away from the fleeting pleasures of Egypt, the euphoria of serial dating, and take hold of Jesus in faith. And when he says, Everyone who ever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Believe him. Trust him. Embrace that. By faith, you will taste and see that the soul satisfaction Jesus gives is better and deeper and longer. It's not the same. No, it's not the same. It's better, deeper, longer. Take whatever measure of spiritual pleasure he gives you in this life and trust him for the rest of it Mm -hmm. in due time. I don't know how much he will give you in this life. But I do know that serial dating is a dead-end street, and in God's presence is fullness of joy, fullness, and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore.
0: Amen. This ultimate promise of Psalm 16 is what we're living for. Thank you, Pastor John, and thank you for the very honest question. Uh, We appreciate them. Thank you for joining us today. You can ask a question of your own. You can uh, search our growing archive of episodes Or you can subscribe to the podcast. Do all of that at desiringgod.org forward slash askpastorjohn. Well, at the beginning of the book of Job, Job is a wealthy man. And at the end of the book of Job, Job is a wealthy man times two. So is it right to expect God to intend to double the wealth of his children? That's the question prompted by Job and sent in by a listener. I am your host, Tony Ranke, and we'll see you back here to talk about Job's wealth on Monday. We'll see you
1: then.